You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The most gifted physical specimen I've ever seen. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. We're going to be ending early today to make room for Michael Thompson and the great John Ireland and the first Laker game to resume in Orlando. We won't have any commercials from 8.15 till then, uh, but I really want to get into the excitement I have for my guest at 8.15, the great Scott Kaplan. I've been a big fan of his for years, radio host from San Diego. And I would listen, even though I'm not from San Diego. But at the time, in the 90s, it was the only station that had sports long before ESPN came. And I loved listening to Scott Kaplan talk about his love and loyalty to the San Diego Chargers. So when they up and moved to Los Angeles, he was the only one with the guts to talk about that sense of loyalty and betrayal. He was a voice for so many fans on the radio. And I'm going to be talking to him at 8.15. And I knew he'd be my guest. So it made me think all week about the love I have for surgery, for sports, and for the world of art. Where do you see loyalty? How is it exemplified in these three worlds that I love? Yesterday was my birthday. I did six surgeries. I didn't take the day off because of my loyalty to Cedars. The loyalty of Chris and Adolfo coming in on their day off to help me yesterday in those six big cases. It's the most beautiful thing that can happen to you as a human being. Thanks to the great Brian Croft at Cedars and Gordon Kaladi, we have a show that's continuing. That's where my loyalty to Cedars comes from. It's the one and only hospital I'll ever be at as an orthopedic surgeon, for that reason. What about in sports? When Kobe passed away, we learned all about what loyalty was. That relationship between Jerry West and Kobe Bryant. Did you know Kobe Bryant made a commitment to leave the Lakers to go to the Clippers? It wasn't until Jerry West called him while he was still in Memphis and said, You can't do that, son, because Kobe was like a son to him. It certainly all started because of Dr. Buss building the team that Jerry West was loyal to. But you got to hear what loyalty sounds like. First, from the words of Kobe Bryant and his loyalty to his coach, Phil Jackson. Let's go to Kobe, loyal to Phil. Let's see number four. I was upset because people don't understand him. And he is a genius in every sense of the word. And how he sees the game, how he sees the spirituality of the game. And people don't understand that. And worse than that, they're intimidated by that. And even worse, they try to discredit that because they do not have the level of passion and obsessiveness obsessiveness to get to that level. So they figured the best thing to do is to tear that level down. Loyal. Phil was like a father 
to Kobe Bryant. But you know who else was like a father to him? Jerry West. Let's go to number one. Jerry West reflecting on meeting him for the first time and becoming that father figure. Number one. It wasn't like this was some great discovery because people knew who he was. At that time, uh, it wasn't in vogue to take 17-year-old kids. And uh, we were having a workout, and his agent, Arn Tellum, and I have been longtime friends. And he said, I'd like, he wants to come and work out with some of these players that were going to be higher, taken in a draft, everyone thought. Number two. So Kobe wanted to come back again and work out for us. And uh, so Arn called me and said he's been town here and he wants to work out. So I brought Michael Cooper in. And I think some of you people know who Michael Cooper is, <laughs> one of the great defenders we've had in our league. And so we wanted him to play well with Kobe Bryant and see what it looked like. Well. After 10 minutes, I said, stop this, okay? <laughs> he was embarrassing Michael, and I told Michael, I said, man, you retired soon enough. The loyalty that Kobe had to Jerry West, and you're gonna hear it now, is because Jerry West believes you never lie to a player. What a general manager to have. Number three. And that was the genesis of it. But spent, countless days trying to trade our starting center. Vlade Divac to create space to, so hopefully we could attract Shaquille. And um, Shaquille and I never met in person. And we developed a relationship over the phone, which was very honest. And that's the only thing I believe in when you're dealing with players. You cannot ever lie to a player, never. Number four. Finally, one day, I'd late Jerry Buss, who was, he only had two or three people working for us at that point in time. And I told Shaquille, and I really remember this, uh, I said, Shaquille, we just drafted a kid who's the best player in the draft. And I said, I know you got a lot of good players down in Orlando, but I said, we have better players here, and we have one that's going to be the best player in the league one day. Pretty bold statement to make, but... To me, it was obvious. To me, it was obvious. The vision he has. This is where the loyalty comes from. Believing in Kobe. Number five. Probably as harsh for me is the times I spent with him when he was 17 years old at my house, constantly wanting me to go to the gym, uh, watching him play in the summer league and you know, everyone was excited to see a young kid like that. And he's having dinner at your table and, on nights too. Yes, and having dinner uh, at my house. My son Ryan was his first best friend in town. who worked for the Lakers for a number of years. And number six. I had a special relationship with him. No one knows the intimate talks I had with him. No one knows, even people who are close to him, they don't know the conversations I had with him. They don't know the conversations I had with him in Memphis when I was working in Memphis. We still communicated. Here's where the loyalty comes in. He got pissed off Kobe Bryant. He had had it. They're not taking, making the team good enough to win a championship. I'm leaving. 
and he committed to the late to the Clippers. Number seven, listen to what loyalty means from Jerry West. Number seven. I remember when he was going to lead the Lakers, and I never really mentioned this to anyone. He was going to come and sign with the Clippers, who I'm now involved with as a consultant. And I told him, Kobe, under no circumstances can you do this. And he was mad at everyone, the Lakers, the owner, everyone else. I said, Kobe, you can't go play with the Clippers. You can't play for that owner, period. All those years together, believing in him when he was 17, he was a father to Kobe, a surrogate father. And that's where that loyalty comes from. Number eight. We had two conversations about it. And he supposedly made a commitment to the Clippers and after the last one we talked last time. But there's so many things that we talked about as he was just seeking information. He, his parents were with him for a while. And honestly, I felt like he's fathered for two years. That loyalty comes from the top. It comes from the passion and creating a family that Dr. Buss did. Let's listen to Dr. Buss, how he's building a team that demands that loyalty of its fans, of its players, and of its general manager. How does he do it? This was the genius of Dr. Buss, number one. After two years of endless negotiations, I purchased the Los Angeles Lakers. What a dream come true. And then the path to my presence here began. It is difficult to explain the excitement and the reverence the first day when Jerry West and Bill Sharman came into my office. I couldn't believe I was suddenly in charge of a legendary franchise and that my thoughts would influence the future of this team for so many years. The loyalty to the team, you can feel it and hear it in the words of Jerry Buss. Number two. This is the way every owner should begin. Two of the most knowledgeable Hall of Famers of all time. And this was just the beginning. Next step, we drafted Irvin Magic Johnson. Surely one of the most gifted athletes in any sport at any time. Number three. The greatest scorer in history. What a thought I had. Happiness knowing he played for the Lakers. My Lakers. We lost the next year, but we gained another heroic figure in Pat Riley. He was the man who brought four championships to Los Angeles. What a career, what glory, what fun to have you as my guardian angel. And here's where the loyalty starts, the connection of Jerry Buss, Jerry West, to Kobe Bryant, to us as Laker fans, where the loyalty comes from. Listen to Dr. Buss tell this story, number four. Jerry West comes to me and says he has an eye on a 17-year-old phenomenon, Kobe Bryant. I said, great, in three or four years, it'll be good. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, now. <laughs> I said, what? Well, 
Not only that, Jerry, he was telling me, also Shaq has said he wants to come to Los Angeles. This could be the greatest one-two punch in the history of basketball. Okay, I said, let's go for it. That's where the loyalty comes from. That's what we all appreciate and will always appreciate. And I'm going to talk to Scott Kaplan about it and what he thinks of that. But what about in the world of art, in music? Loyalty slash betrayal. This is Graham Nash talking about why he left one group, the Hollies, that he started as a kid in 1947 with his best friend, Alan Clark, the Hollies in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Graham Nash is the only guy in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to be in two separate bands, the Hollies and Crosby, Stills and Nash. But leaving that first band, like Kobe leaving the Lakers to go to the Clippers, let's listen to what Graham Nash, the torment of where that idea of breaking up the loyalty to leave comes from. Number one. I left the Hollies for a couple of reasons. One of them was that I didn't feel that they trusted my need for direction. Um, every Holly single that we had made, uh, you know, apart from the first couple, made it into the top ten, and, and, and that's where we were used to being. You'd bring out a single, it would go into the top ten. That's what we were used to. When I was with the Hollies, I think we had 14, maybe 16 top 10 hits. Well, number two. King Midas in Reverse came along and I, that I wrote in, uh, in Croatia. Um, and uh, we made a very decent record of it. But it only got into the top 30. And so the Hollies were, bloody hell, we failed. You know, no, no, no. Now, most bands would give their right arm to have a top 30 hit. But we, because we were used to being in the top 10, being in the top 30 wasn't so special, right? So that was one point. Number three. Then they wanted to do an album, Bob Dylan songs. And I just, I, I just didn't like the way that uh, it was going. Um, I'm a great fan of Bob Dylan. I think he's our greatest poet, and I think he's one of our greatest singers. Uh, and the way that the Hollies wanted to do some of his uh, stuff uh, appalled me. Um, I did actually sing on uh, Blowing in the Wind, um, and it's out there somewhere, and, and, and to me it's just awful. It's kind of a Las Vegas kind of... <laughs> How many roads... Yeah. Come on, this isn't the Rat Pack here. Come on, let's go. Number four. So those, those couple of things, plus I, I'd written Marrakesh Express and the Hollies had tried to record it and, and they just weren't into it. And, and it was obvious to me that uh, my time with the Hollies uh, was coming to an end. I was ambivalent about leaving, I must confess. I've always uh, liked being a member of a band. I've always liked interaction with other musicians. Uh, I was taking a big chance. And finally, number five. My friends thought I was crazy. You're leaving the Hollies, all this fame, all these women, all this money, are you nuts? You know, but they hadn't heard what, what me and David and Stephen sounded like. And if they had, they would probably have understood better. But it was, uh, it was a sad time. Um, I was leaving my friend, Alan Clark, uh, who had been my friend since I was five or six years old, so that was painful for me. Um, 
But my mother and father had always taught me to follow my heart, and, and my heart said that this blend that I'd created with David and Stephen was uh, magically unique and that I need to follow it, and that's what I did. Sometimes it's okay to leave, but you do break up that loyalty, and that's the painful part. My guest today, the great Scott Kaplan, knows a lot about loyalty and betrayal. Coming up next... We're going to talk about loyalty and betrayal with the great Scott Kaplan. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm still quelling. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710 home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. This is the group Graham Nash left the Hollies to join because of the harmony he could make with Stephen Stills to David Crosby. He left his boyhood friend, Alan Clark, from the Hollies. It was a crushing decision. One of loyalty and one of betrayal. And nobody knows this topic better than my guest, the great Scott Kaplan. Scott, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Dr. Clapper, what a pleasure to be with you. I was quelling when I listened to that. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I first, I'm, I'm your biggest fan. The passion that you have is you wear it on your sleeves. You can hear it on the radio. I don't live in San Diego. But I couldn't stop listening to the mighty 690, 1090, this station coming out of San Diego. And of all the people I would listen, Coach John Quintero, Hacksaw, yours was the voice that I couldn't wait to hear because your, your honesty of your emotions. So to me, you're an expert in what it's like to be loyal as a team, as a family member as a sport, as an artist. So thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Oh, doctor, I am really appreciative of everything you just said. And, you know, you, you use that word loyalty. I'm, I'm not exaggerating with you. I swear to God at this exact moment, you say, thanks for getting up. I'm, I'm driving in Beverly Hills right now, and I'm actually riding shotgun. My lifelong best friend is driving. We've been brothers since we're 13 years old. And he lives here in, in Beverly Hills and came in for, the couple, for a couple of days and, and asked me to come up and visit, which I did. Um, and and it, it, we, we, again, he's sitting here driving. But we've had some very, very deep conversations that you cannot have on the phone when you've got other distractions and things going on. And, you know, when I think of that word loyalty, um, for me, that word is it, it, it means something for life, you know. And, yep, it does. Yeah. So I want to ask you, first of all, tell us who Scott Kaplan is. Where did you grow up? What did your dad do for a living? How does a Jewish guy become a professional athlete? Uh, tell us the story in a few minutes of who you are. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. I really do appreciate that. Um, and, I, you know, I am flattered to be with you. Seriously, when you called me and said all those things to me, uh, you're my biggest fan and my biggest supporter. I was blown away by it. 
Um, I actually thought it was kind of a BS call at first. I was like, come on, nobody really is like this. And you, I, I, I'm very flattered. So I grew up in South Florida. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Wow. My, father was a, my father was an electrician who then became a mechanic. He came home every day from work with his hands dirty and greasy and mm-hmm. never made a, a lot of money. I mean, you know, the, the notion of making six figures back then was uh, was a, a dream for someone who, like my father who didn't go to college and, and you know, really started working pretty much right out of, of high school, went to the Air Force and was in the Air Force for four years and, and then returned home to upstate New York to become an electrician with his father. And when wow. that became too overbearing, you know, he decided to change careers and became a mechanic because uh, he was just handy and he, he could do anything, he could fix anything. And, and I grew up, and again, I'm, I mentioned I'm sitting here with my best friend, when, when we grew up, when he would come to my house, you know, we were, we were quote unquote rich compared to, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and we weren't, we were, we were at, at the time in America, if you could define what middle class was, we were the lower, lower end of middle class, but we, mm-hmm. we lived in a, in a house that was decent enough and we had food in the refrigerator and I could jump over the fence to get to the high school. And right behind my house was the high school that I went to. And there was a baseball field and I would take one football and I would take a football kickoff tee, and I was a soccer player growing up, and I would just kick the football, and then I'd go down, I'd pick it up, I'd kick it and go to the other direction. And, and then later in my high school career, I became obsessed with wanting to get a scholarship to college, and everybody ridiculed me and said, you'll never get a scholarship to college. There's no way some, some suburban white Jewish kid is going to get a big-time college football scholarship. And, and I, again, I, I keep mentioning I'm with my, my best friend today, he was the announcer on the high school football cable broadcasts, and I was the kicker on the football team. And in <laughs> one night, my entire life changed in one night. We were, we were a predominantly white suburban high school. We were playing the inner city school that had all African-American players. and all the, This was Ely High School, which had the, the most players in the NFL for the longest time. That was sort of their claim to fame. And in <laughs> one night, we got lucky enough to get into a position that with four seconds remaining in the game in a tie game, I kicked a 45-yard field goal, and I swear to you, Dr. Clapper, I'm not exaggerating. It may have been like the second field goal I'd ever made in my career because I only played my senior year. I didn't play my junior year. I didn't play my sophomore year. And one, one kick wow. that, was caught, that was caught on video by a local cable channel completely changed my life. And I was, I was using my – you know, we were, we were in the high school debate club. And I was calling <laughs> college coaches. I swear to God, this is a true story. I was calling college coaches, and I was saying that I would get these coaches on the phone, and I would say to them, hey, my name is Coach George Smith. I'm down here at St. Thomas Aquinas High School, which was like the big high school football program down in South Florida. Still is today one of the tops. And I would disguise my voice and say, you know, we played against this team, and there's this kicker named Scott Kaplan, and he's great. You should be recruiting him. And I was changing my voice doing impersonations, trying to be interested in me. And I swear it's a true story. And I was calling every school I could call, and everybody was laughing at me, saying, you'll never get a scholarship, you'll never get a scholarship. And my father and I were lucky enough to be invited to the University of Pittsburgh on an official visit. And, wow. and, and I went up there, and they had this, this coach. His name was Mike Gottfried at the time. And I remember saying to my father, I said, Dad, let me do all the talking. And he said... <laughs> He said, okay, like here I was, I was this eight, 18 year old kid, but I was very, very confident. I was a, I was a public speaking my whole life. Um, and so the coach said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, coach, I want to come to Pitt. 
And he said, well, you know, you're being recruited by West Point, which was total nonsense. I was never going to go to West Point. (laughs) But he said, he goes, but, you know, these military academies, they can come take you after you commit. And I said, coach, if you want me, I am ready to commit to you right now. And like, I'm telling you, Dr. Clapper, I had five field goals in my high school career. (laughs) Two, Two of them were game winners. And so I was recruited because I... I was BSing my way into the relationships with the coaches. I was, I was media savvy enough because I had this high school class called, you know, media. And I had a kid who was able to edit videotapes. I was in the high school library and we were taking videotapes from a VHS tape to another VHS tape. And instead of putting on like 15 field goals that I had kicked, I took the five field goals that I had, I would reverse the angles and I made it look like I had a whole bunch more field goals. And, and I would take kickoffs that would blast through the end zone, and I would just keep showing them over and over again. And then I put music behind it, and I put slow motion into it, and I produced a videotape. And then I sent them to every school in America that I could send them to. And then I followed up and followed up like a salesman. And ultimately, I went from being this kid who was being ridiculed for even saying out loud that I was going to get a Division I scholarship to actually manifesting what I said I was going to create. And I did. And then luckily for me, I went to the University of Pittsburgh and I had coaches like John Gruden and um, Mike McCoy wow. and wow. Hackett, who, Paul, people, you know, USC fans will remember Paul Hackett for his short period of time and, and, you know, Marvin Lewis. And I played with, with guys like Curtis Martin and Tony Saragusa, guys who were first round picks. I mean, old Rams fans might remember Sean Gilbert. Um, wow. I, play, I played a, for coaches that became NFL stars. I played for play, with players that became Hall of Famers. And for a little Jewish kid from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, who really didn't belong athletically, and I really wasn't qualified um, you know, to be there, I turned it into a, a, into a career. And, and you know, through that period of time, I became friends with a lot of the media members in Pittsburgh because it was what I wanted to do. And, um, and that really is, is the beginning of my, my media career. So it went from playing college football. I bounced around the NFL for a few years, trying to make it for a while. I played for the chargers for a little bit. I got, I was brought to new England. I sat with Bill Parcells in his office and he looked at me and he said, I cannot sign a rookie kicker to replace a rookie kicker. And, and I mean, I, I had all these crazy experiences and then it just sort of transitioned into talk radio. Cause I would sit around and watch Howard Stern and I finish his sentences. And I thought that's what I should be doing. And it turned into a 20 plus year career of talk radio. Wow. What a great story. I'm talking to the great, I'm the biggest fan of his, Scott Kaplan. I will tell you this, Scott Kaplan. I marry the world every Saturday morning for the last 10 years on ESPN on this show called The Weekend Warrior because of my passion for sculpting in marble. I traveled to Italy to Michelangelo's quarry because I love to sculpt with my hand, a hammer and a chisel. I love the world of art. I'm a surgeon. But I was an art history major. Why the hell would I become an art history major? It led to a lot of inventions and patents. So the worlds of art, the world of sports, they make sense to me. You know who my patron saint is? And I'm going to take a gamble right now and say that he's your patron saint was the great Steve Sable. He was the guy, just like you were there in that video room, putting music to the video of football. No one else did this until Steve Sable came along. Steve Sable, in many respects, made me love sports, love art, 
and was my patron saint. What are your thoughts about Steve Sable? I loved Steve Sable. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the early parts of my broadcasting career, so take this back now to the mid-90s, I would call Steve Sable. This is, you know, the Internet was just getting going, wow. just learning about email. This was a day and age where you would have to find somebody's phone number, call them, and believe it or not, they might actually be sitting there and answering the phone, a, a hard-lined phone. And I, would, I, I just I feel the exact same way. It's so funny you're saying this because Steve Sable, what he did was he made football look like art on film mm-hmm. and, and even now when I when I broadcast NFL football games and I'm on the sideline for Monday Night Football I'm so fascinated by what Steve Sable created and yep. how its legacy lives on and what I find super interesting about what you're saying by the way is that when you perform surgery or when you are sculpting or when I am on the air or when I'm doing other projects related to what I consider to be my art, which is the art of dialogue, the Mm -hmm. art of discourse, the art of debate, the art of conversation. There is an art to this. um, And, and, and for me, um, just like you, who, you know, really people probably look at you and they go, well, he's, he's a surgeon. But when they dig deeper, they find out, that the surgeon is the artist who, by the way, has this other side of the brain that's, that's using his hands and sculpting. For me, um, I, I am a talk radio personality, and I, I consider that my art, okay? And yet, on the other hand, I have so many other interests. Most of them, though, they correlate very carefully and closely, um, and, and, but it's all sort of in the same vein, just the same way surgery is art and sculpting is art. For me, the on-air part is art. But you know what's happened as the world has changed is the off-air has become art as well. Because mm-hmm. if I'm on the radio for three hours on ESPN 710, guess what? I've got 21 hours of the day still to be engaged in the art of dialogue with my audience. And, and that's why, like you, who you, know, you could just be one guy. You could be a very successful surgeon and be happy being that. You like to do lots of other stuff because there's more layers. I feel the same way. I, I look up to somebody, I know this sounds crazy, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger who went from world-class bodybuilder to mm-hmm. superstar actor to governor. I mean, I, th- that's a guy who never got told, you can only be this, and I don't want to only be this. So, so, Scott Kaplan, you may have a degree from the University of Pittsburgh but you do have a PhD, in my opinion, in the field of loyalty because of your feelings for the fans. You're the spokesperson for the San Diego Charger fan because I heard you so many hours talking about it. I want to play a soundbite if you don't mind. And I'm just, listen, I'd love to have a soundbite to play for Michelangelo. He's dead 500 years. Having you on the air to speak about loyalty, I want to know what these words sound like and mean to you. Rebecca, let's play the uh, sound with Jerry West, number seven. I remember when he was going to leave the Lakers, and I've never really mentioned this to anyone. He was going to come and sign with the Clippers, who I'm now involved with as a consultant. And I told him, Kobe, under no circumstances can you do this. 
and he was mad at everyone, the Lakers, the owner, everyone else. I said, Kobe, you can't go play with the Clippers. You can't play for that owner, period. Scott Kaplan, don't you wish someone could come down and tell those Chargers, those, that ownership, just what Jerry West told Kobe Bryant? When you hear that tearful speech by Jerry West recollecting that conversation with Kobe leaving the Lakers, what do you hear? Well, the first thing I hear is the massive amount of wisdom that someone like Jerry West at this stage of his life is able to articulate to somebody who desperately needed um, that angel to deliver that message at that moment. I'm, I don't mean to be so overly cosmic, but I just believe people come into your life for a reason. And there's no question that while Jerry West may have been an important part of the early stages of Kobe Bryant's career, he also was a very influential factor in the latter parts of Kobe Bryant's career. And, and you think to yourself, why is this person in my life? Why are we connected? You know, um, when you look at the, the, the sports landscape of Los Angeles, what is so exciting for someone like myself who spent 20 years in San Diego is in L.A., there's two of everything, and every single team is littered with superstars. The biggest and the best names in their sports play for the teams in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, when you think about the Chargers, now let's go very specific and get real granular here. When you think about the Chargers, they were, doctor, I promise you, they were the heart and soul of the San Diego sports community. And when they left, um, they literally did it by, and they ripped the heart right out of the town. And they did it because they were greedy, period. There is no doubt about it that Dean Spanos, the owner of the team, grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. His father made all of the money. He was an incredible business guy, regardless of what you say about what he did, to whom, etc. He made a ton of money from nothing. He was a nothing guy who made a fortune. And so for that, I give him nothing but respect, okay? And, and so when Dean grows up with his silver spoon in his mouth and he never has the um, – he never lives up to his father. In fact, his father even wrote in the book. Um, his father had a, a, an autobiography, and he said, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to take risk. Just because you have money or inherit money does not make you an entrepreneur. And so for Dean, who became the patriarch of his family as his father was dealing with Alzheimer's and was no longer who he once was, Dean had sisters, brothers, nephews, nieces, children, et cetera, that were all looking to him saying, what's our long-term prognosis for our wealth? And when he looked at it, he said that the, the most money can be made if we leave San Diego, this much smaller market where there aren't Fortune 500 companies and there aren't corporations that want to buy expensive luxury suites and so on, and we move to L.A. And, you know, when you think about the word loyalty, you have to think to yourself, in my opinion, what is – who is loyal you know, the, the San Diego fan base was loyal to that franchise when they're one and 15, when they're three and 13, when they're seven and nine to when they become 13 and three. And I'm telling you this, doctor, I mean, I travel the whole country calling Monday night football games and 
at the time, if you put a San Diego, New England, or a San Diego, Pittsburgh, or a San Diego, back in the day, Oakland game into that stadium, particularly between about 2005 and 2011, there was not a, a more electric environment in the entire NFL. And the fact of the matter is, is that Dean chose not to ingratiate himself politically to the city. He chose not to be a good public relations man. He was a reclusive personality who was not a leader of a community. And, and plastering your name on a building here or there doesn't exactly get the job done. It actually takes a little bit more heart. And, and when you talk about loyalty, the San Diego community was loyal to that franchise through the bad and the small amount of good, and that ownership did not show the same amount of loyalty. And so while I don't root for people's failure, and I don't want to ridicule people for failing, when you look at what has happened to this franchise, that when they're ranked um, as the 11th most popular, meaning the last place most popular franchise, the NFL is such an arrogant organization that it thinks that they can just walk through the door to any community, even one like Los Angeles that hadn't had NFL football for 20-plus years, put that logo at midfield, and everybody's just going to come around and kiss your butt. Clearly, it has not happened. And that, to me, when you talk about karma and, and the, the universe, and um, I just think that this is a, a moment where if, if you're Dean Spanos and you're looking in the mirror – you know, you may say to yourself, hey, our franchise went up in value, and it might have. I mean, mm-hmm. you, look at the Forbes, you look at the Forbes list, doctor, and you say, okay, the Rams were 28th in value while in St. Louis, and now they're fourth in L.A. You look at the Chargers, they were 19th in San Diego, and now they're 16th in L.A. It mm-hmm. did not work. And, and for me, that lack of loyalty to the community, to the fan base, to the people who supported you for all these years, that's why you see a franchise that was hyper successful in a community that loved it and adored it versus a, a, a franchise that is ultimately invisible in the L.A. sports market. Scott Kaplan, we got to run, but I can't thank you enough. And I'd love that my, my fans are hearing the passion in your voice. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. Doctor, what a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for inviting me. I look forward to talking to you again. Okay, sir. Thank you. Warriors, I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying, which John Ireland and Michael Thompson are going to do. Broadcasting the Lakers, coming up next.